worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Jazz, the two men power trip of wrestling. the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by NWA Classics 24-7. Wow, all the NWA classic footage that you could find from the library of legendary promoter Paul Bosch is at nwaclassics.com. Please visit that for more. With that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. John, how are you? Woo, I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We've got a power-packed show, to say the least. As I said, the show is brought to you by NWAclassics.com, and our first guy up in the batter's box, ready to go, is NWA president Bruce Tharp. Second time on the show. Doesn't disappoint. He's up here talking about... NWA Classics, it's launching today, July 4th, 2015. Johnny gives us a rundown of the matches that are going to be on. What are your thoughts? Ooh, he, uh, he's a great guest. I mean, the second time you had him on, he's awesome to talk to. He's just he's so engaging. He's such a good, you know, good speaker. You just get so into what he's saying. But it doesn't take much to get into some of the stuff that he was talking about because this NWA Classics thing has gotten me very, very excited. I mean, not only you got Slayer on there, Wahoo McDaniels, Magnum TA, a very young Shawn Michaels, for those of you out there that are big Shawn Michaels fans. I mean, you got Andre the Giant, you got Harley Race, Azula Butcher, Bruiser Brody. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's just crazy uh, how much cool footage it is. I mean, obviously, we're huge uh, marks for that stuff, or as Dusty Rhodes told us, historians. For that stuff, so uh, we are very, very you know excited uh, about NWA Classics, and Bruce Tharp is uh, super excited about it as well. And just like Dusty said, the world needs us; they need the historians, so that's why we're here. But yeah, Bruce Tharp, he gets us pumped up, and since he mentioned it to us that night, we had him on, and, uh, and as I said to him when we started the interview off, I think we talked almost as long off the air as we did on the air, just about NWA Classics. And again, he doesn't disappoint talking about some of the ideas he has for it and the matches that are going to be uploaded every month. All the information you're going to need is inside this episode. But again, today's episode is brought to you by NWAclassics.com. Please visit that for more information. Prime time before we throw it to Bruce Tharp. And we come back for our second guest, Mr. Seth Bowman. What do you have to say about Bruce Tharp and NWA Classics? Please go to nwaclassics.com or go to nwaringside.com for more, but I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend you getting this because you don't want to miss out. It goes from the late 60s to 1986, NWA, Paul Bosch, Houston Territory. Woo, the Nature Boy Ric Flair is on there. Like I said, 
Harley Race, many, many, many more. And just great moments, NWA title matches, you name it. It's on there, and it's out today. So get on to the website, nwaclassics.com, and do yourself a favor and buy it. It's cheaper than the WWE Network. So joining us on the line is a man who is no stranger to the two-man power trip of wrestling. He's one of our favorite guests to date, and since his appearance, not a day passes where John and I don't discuss it, and that is the launch of NWA Classics, a digital streaming service launching on Independence Day. And with that being said, we welcome in the man behind NWA Classics, that is NWA President Mr. Bruce Tharp. Bruce, welcome back to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Chad, John, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Oh, we're just we're happy to have you back because uh, you definitely, and we said it that night, you wet our palate with NWA Classics, and now July 4th, the streaming service is here. Tell us, finally getting it out there and, and, and having the people have the access to it, tell us about NWA Classics. NWAclassics.com is the website address. Uh, we're so excited about this project. We've been working really hard on it, um, invested a lot of time and money. Uh, it's probably been five years in, or more, you know, in the, in, the, in the planning stages. But now we are, we are out. We're, we've got it online, and we're super excited about it. Again, the website address is nwaclassics.com. We've got some of the greatest uh, vintage uh, wrestling, NWA wrestling matches of all time uh, online. And for one low monthly price, I mean, you've got unlimited access. I mean, this is a place where binge watching is acceptable. You know, <laughs> love it. And, I, and, I, and I'm telling you, the quality of the color, uh, the clarity, the audio is absolutely amazing. And uh, I've been in the studio uploading these matches. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I've been marking out watching these matches <laughs> myself. So if, if, if Bruce Tharp is marking out, I mean, just think what you guys, you guys are going to love it. I mean, I just can't wait until you guys see it and I hear some of the response. It's really amazing. Yeah, and it's the personal library of the legendary Houston wrestling promoter, Paul Bosch, and it comprises matches from the late 60s to 1986. And just when you look at this small list of matches that were released and what's going to be on there, you have an NWA title match between Ric Flair and Wahoo McDaniel, Kevin Von Erich versus Chris Adams, uh, Dorian Terry Funk versus Mil Mascaris and Jose Lothario. It's like a veritable who's who of the legends of professional wrestling. And we asked you this then, and you had some great, great choices as what stood out to you. But what's one match that's really jumped off the page at you since you've been going through the hours and hours of footage? Oh, my God. That is, that's a really difficult question because there are just – so many matches um, that have just been amazing. I mean, the first match that I'd have to throw out would be um, the NWA World Title match between Harley Race and Andre the Giant. I mean, that's going to be released the very first month, and you're going to be seeing Harley Race body slam Andre the Giant on the floor. It's amazing to see these matches with these wrestlers that were in their prime. Um, we've, and in fact, we've got. So many different matches that we could actually put together boxed sets, you know, on certain individuals. And we actually have that on the drawing board. We're going to start maybe putting together Blu-ray uh, specialized collections uh, probably within the next six months. And I'm talking about doing like an Andre the Giant collection. I mean, wow. we've got so
so many Nick Bockwinkel matches. We could do a Nick Bockwinkel collection. I mean, each one of these uh, uh, superstars that I that I throw out, we've got ten, twelve different matches. I mean, we could do a Gino Tully uh, collection because we've got Gino Hernandez and Tully Blanchard in action against some of the greatest tag teams in history. I mean, um, we've actually got a, a, a Dory and Terry Funk uh, against Mil Mascaris and Jose Lothario. What an amazing match that was. I mean, we've got cage matches. Um, he got the Rock and Roll Express against all kinds of teams, like the Fabulous Ones, the Fantastics, uh, the Sheep Herders, um, the Fabulous Freebirds. I mean, we've got six-man tag team matches featuring all of the Von Erics in different combinations, including Fritz. We've got a six-man tag that we are going to release the very first month in which Fritz Von Erich is part of that team, probably one of the last matches of his career. Um, another match that we're going to introduce the very first month will come from the, la- uh, the, the, the late 60s, Killer Kowalski versus Duke Kiyomuka with Mr. Moe wow. in his corner. I mean, and, I mean, the quality of these videos is amazing. I mean, the, the collection was stored... Um, in a climate-controlled environment. So the quality of these videos are just amazing. It's just mind-boggling to me that these have been, haven't been seen in 40 years or more, and yet the quality is just amazing. I mean, I, I, I'm so excited to, to, uh, to get the project out, and I'm, I'm excited that everybody's having an opportunity to see it because this project is for the fans. I mean, these um, – it took a lot – it's – this project has taken a lot of time, but it's a, been a labor of love because we are preserving wrestling history. We're not burying it. We're not buying a library and burying it. We are putting it online so that everybody can see. So for those wrestling fans that like vintage wrestling content, NWA Classics 24-7 is the holy grail of vintage much- wrestling material. How much is NWA Classics going to be per month? We're going to we're going to offer two um, two options. Basically, we're going to offer a monthly uh, fee, eight ninety nine, uh, unlimited downloads. So for those that just want to order it monthly, you can order it. Uh, you know, sign up and, and pay monthly. If uh, you'd like to order an entire year in advance, that's ninety nine dollars, and you get a month free. You know, doing it like that. So you've got two different options. And uh, so we're offering our service a little bit less than uh, New Japan World, NJPW World, and the, the WWE Network. But uh, we're so excited to get it out there. And uh, we wanted to release it on the 4th of July. I mean, what's more American than hot dogs, apple pie, and the National Wrestling Alliance? So <laughs> 4th of July was our launch date. And uh, so excited to have it out, you know, after so much work. And and as I mentioned, this first month we're releasing about 50 matches, and we've got enough content to supplement this website with 30 new classic matches every month for probably three or four years. So expect to see a new match added every day, and that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to add a new match every single day, and we're going to post uh, some highlights of it you know, online to let everybody see what the next match is. But that's, you know, one of the things that's going to be so exciting about this is it is a legitimate monthly subscription service because every month the website is going to be supplemented with new material. And eventually we're going to be uh, 
developing new content as well. Obviously, the website is based on the classic material to begin with, but I would estimate within the first six months, we will be in a position to start producing new content to start supplementing the website with. So uh, be on the lookout for brand new NWA content as well very soon. Is it also going to be available through other streaming services such as Roku and uh, things like of that nature? Absolutely. We're trying to cover all of our bases. And with regard to, to Roku, what they do is they require us to develop our own app for it. So we're in the process of doing that. Um, uh, we're not sure exactly how long it's going to take, but we are working on it, folks. So we will have availability for Roku very, very soon. Basically, as soon as we can develop the app, we're going to get it online. So, Is there anybody on this you know, going to be on this channel, on this network, on this streaming service, that people would be surprised to see? Like, is there a name out there that people may have not known was in this territory? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> that's a hard question to answer. I, I would actually say that um, most of the personalities are going to be recognizable names, you know, like JYD, you know, Junkyard Dog, Superstar Billy Graham. You know, many of the world champions, Nick Bockwinkle, Bruiser Brody, uh, uh, Stan Hansen. And it's my thinking that most of the market, most of the fans out there want to see these guys in their prime. And they're going to get an opportunity on NWA Classics 24-7. The one guy I was thinking about that kind of stuck out to me because I wasn't sure he was actually in Houston at the time because he would have been so young was uh, Shawn Michaels, and I believe he's on the uh, first month, correct? Exactly. As you know, Shawn Michaels is from San Antonio. He was tra- uh, trained by Jose Lothario, and you know, one of the first territories that he started wrestling in was uh, you know the San Antonio area for Joe Blanchard. He started wrestling for Paul Bosch in Houston and you know Bill Watts in the Mid-Atlantic, or excuse me, the, uh, the Mid-South, Mid-South area, and um, you know, as all wrestlers are, I mean, you got to start off you know, as a rookie. And so you're going to see a match with Shawn Michaels um, where he looks a little bit different than he does now. He's a bit heavier uh, when he first started. And uh, you're going to see him in, in a very short match against the barbarian John Nord in which uh, the heartbreak kid basically gets destroyed, doesn't get any, any offense whatsoever. But it's still a great match, and it's kind of interesting to see Shawn Michaels uh, back in his rookie days. Hmm. Definitely looking forward to that. It's very interesting. And one match, we kind of talked about the two guys, but one match that really stuck out to me that I thought it's going to be released in this first month is so intriguing to me. I've never seen it before, and I'm dying to see it. It's uh, Nick Bockwinkle against Bruiser Brody. What was it like watching that match? Yeah, contrast in styles. And uh, with regard to that, that one particular match, I've got to tell you this. We're going to have to do a little bit more. Uh, there's some there's some technical difficulties with the audio on that match, so we may not be able to introduce the Bachwinkle Brody match the very first month because anything we put on the website, obviously, we want it to be in tip top quality, and so we're going to actually have to uh, bake that match a little bit uh, so it plays a little bit better. So the Brody Bachwinkle match is probably going to be coming out either the second or the third month because we just. You know, I don't want to put it out there if it's not in the best possible quality. So you can look. That match is there. We just have to do a little bit more work on it because I, I really want it to be in the best quality 
uh, uh, for you guys to see it. So look for the Bockwinkle Brody match, probably our second or our third mile, because we're working on that. Okay, awesome. Now, how about in regards to, like, an actual full show? Are you just going to be doing it as match releases, or are there, is there a plan to do full shows? Well, actually, we're doing a match-by-match, match because we want to give uh, – the viewing audience, the opportunity to pick and choose which matches they want to see. And we've got all kinds of interviews from Paul Bosch back in the day uh, for, the, for, for the fans to see as well, which is extremely interesting. I mean, we've got uh, some early Andre interviews that we're actually going to post the very first month that is just, I mean, just really cool to, to, to watch. So, yeah, and- we've, got, we've got a lot of stuff like that. And then you see, and obviously, as we said, you know, the amount of time it covers from the late 60s to 1986, and there's a couple different NWA champions that do come through with the gold, but who would you pick out as your favorite NWA champion and out of all this footage that you've gone through? Okay, well, um, if you're asking me my favorite NWA world champion of all time, that would have to be... Um, I'd have to say Jack Briscoe. You know, he was the greatest, in my opinion. Um, he's a good friend of mine, and I uh, was fortunate to be able to travel with him, share the dressing room with him. And I know there are some Jack Briscoe matches in the collection. haven't uh, come across them yet, but we've come across a ton of Ric Flair matches. And he was also an amazing champion. Um, phenomenal wrestler in his prime, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And we've got a ton of Nature Boy Ric Flair NWA World Title defenses, uh, several of which we're going to introduce the first month. We've got Nature Boy Ric Flair defending the 10 pounds of gold against Chief Wahoo McDaniel in a couple of different matches, you know, rematches. We've got um, Ric Flair defending the world title against uh, Terry Taylor, uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed, um, incredible matches. We've also got some really great early Magnum TA footage. We're going to introduce a couple of Magnum TA matches the first month, too. Um, And, of course, when he was wrestling in Texas, this was just before he went to the Carolinas. You know, they were grooming him to become um, the world heavyweight champion of the National Wrestling Alliance before he had that horrible automobile accident that cut short his career. We got some really great Magnum TA matches. We got some JYD footage, a lot of Gino Hernandez, a lot of Jose Lothario. Um I mean, the list goes on and on. Like I said, we basically have years of footage to go through, so this is really going to be an ongoing project, and uh, we're just really excited to get it out there um, as quickly as we can. We want to get as much footage online as quickly as possible, and um, we're just we're just we just really think that the reception, uh, it's going to be very well received by the wrestling fans around the world, actually. And it's, you know, there have been some queries on whether or not NWA Classics 24-7 will be available um, outside the United States. Well, of course it will, because it's on the World Wide Web. You know, it's going to be available all around the world. And, you know, National Wrestling Alliance has fans in, you know, China, Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, Japan, Europe, South America that I've corresponded with, Australia, New Zealand, and a lot of these people are interested in seeing a lot of this vintage content. So we're hoping to have uh, subscribers from all over the world. Yeah, and that's July 4th. It's NWA 
classics. And uh, Bruce, before we uh, before we let you go and we get into the last big plug for NWA classics, just want to get your thoughts very briefly on uh, the passing of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. We detailed your history. Uh, with Championship Wrestling from Florida in our prior episode, which is available right now. You can go check that out on iTunes. Uh, but could you just share with us uh, briefly uh, memories of Dusty? And, uh, you know, we actually had the opportunity to speak to Dusty right before his passing, so it was uh, quite shocking, and he, we only talked about Florida. So uh, we'd love to get your take on, uh, on Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes, no doubt about it. The American Dream was an icon uh, in the wrestling profession. When I first started in the wrestling business, I was probably 17 years old, and I started working for the wrestling office in Florida. Um, and Dusty Rhodes was the booker at that time. He was the boss. So I, I worked with Dusty Rhodes from the very beginning, and I was so fortunate to to be around him and, and do television with him for probably five years. I worked around him and Gordon Soley and Eddie Graham and some of the greatest minds in the wrestling profession. So. During my formative years, I, I was just so fortunate to just be in the same uh, dressing with those guys and learn from them. But I'll, I'll relate a little story to you about Dusty Rhodes. It was kind of interesting. And uh, uh, I, as I mentioned, I started working. I got hired. Eddie Graham hired me to work at the wrestling office and actually helping him doing the, pay, the payroll for the wrestlers and running errands and things like that. And then I started doing the ring announcing. And even though I was working in the wrestling office, doing the payoffs for the wrestlers, Dusty Rhodes never would allow me in the dressing room. You know, and I just didn't understand that back then. You know, I, it used to just make me so angry. I'm like, what? why don't you trust me, you know? And I didn't realize it. But back in the day, ring announcers were not allowed in the dressing room. That's just the way the business was. It was kayfabe back then. Because normally... Ring announcers were somebody local. They were either a DJ or a sponsor or somebody like that, and, and you know they were not allowed in the dressing room because they, you know, the secrets of the wrestling profession were very guarded back then. And I just didn't understand that. Well, Dusty Rhodes was was protecting K. Fabe is what he was doing. He was serious about his business. He was serious about his profession because wrestling was his livelihood. That's the way he fed his family. So that's why these guys were so serious about their profession that when someone disrespected them by saying, hey, wrestling's fake, they were really quick to stand up and defend it because that's how they fed their family. So now in retrospect, you know, I have so much respect for Dusty, uh, you know, and I understand now why he didn't, you know, allow me in the dressing room, and I, and I respect that. I wish he was around now that I could thank him for that and, and explain that to him, but um, he's a great guy. He's an icon of my business. He definitely uh, changed uh, the wrestling profession, no doubt. He was an icon. And I would categorize Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, in the same group as people like Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers, you know, and, and icons like that. Because truly, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, changed the profession. And, you know, I don't think we realized it until after he was gone how much he, he transformed this business. And he will never be forgotten. Yeah, definitely know that about a huge icon, one of the greatest of all time. But yeah, well, we... you know, not 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 only was he a main event wrestler all over the world, he became one of the few attractions, kind of like Andre the Giant and Mil Mascaris. He could travel around the different territories 
you know, and appear in their in their top shows and pop the territory and, and go to a different territory. He was on top in Madison Square Garden in the main event. He was in the main event in the Super Bowl, excuse me, the Superdome in, in uh, New Orleans, you know, all over the world from Tokyo to uh, to New York City. He was a star. And not only was he a star in the ring, he was a star in the office too because, you know, what a creative genius he was. He was the booker behind the scenes for many, many years. And to hold the, the position that he did for as long as he did and to be as successful as he was, I mean, you had to have some substance behind that, you know. And so, yeah, Dusty Rhodes was amazing. He really was. And, you know, I miss him tremendously. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. He's definitely one of the greatest uh, of all time. There's uh, no question about that. But um, as we uh, we wind it down here, just one final uh, question for you. Just curious, how's it going with uh, NWA and you specifically with New Japan Pro Wrestling? Well, our relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling is ongoing. Uh, I'm planning on returning to, to Japan the end of September um, with the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, Steve Anthony. He's going to be defending the, uh, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship in Japan. We're not sure who his opponent will be at this time, but no matter who it is, I'm telling you right now, we're going to win. We're going to bring that belt back. Um, but we are, you know, looking forward to a continued relationship with New Japan. It's been very beneficial mutually uh, because there's a lot of respect for the National Wrestling Alliance in Japan. Um, and number two, it's been good for us to appear in their pay-per-views because we've been over there for the last two years, and every pay-per-view that we appear on, there's no less than 10,000, 12,000 people live in attendance. Tokyo Dome, there was 35,000 in attendance with millions, literally millions watching um, on iPay-Per-View. So the exposure for the National Wrestling Alliance worldwide has been tremendous through our association with New Japan. So we're, we're happy about that, and um, we're, just, we're looking forward to continue to, uh, continuing working with them in the future. Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always great. And, uh, and, of course, we plugged your Twitter like crazy the last time because you're the most entertaining professional wrestling tweeter out there, but let's stick to the topic, and that's NWA Classics 24-7, launching July 4th. July 4th, Bruce Tharp, thank you so much, and please give us the web address one more time. Yeah, don't forget, www.nwaclassics.com, and you can also go to our main, webs- or our main uh, website, which is nwaringside.com, for you know, the latest news and information on the NWA. But I haven't been on Twitter as much as uh, I, I, I usually am because I've been so busy in the studio putting together the um, NWA Classics 24-7 uh, website. But, yeah, I, uh, I am on Twitter quite a bit. I'm, I, I engage the fans as, as much as I can, and uh, I'll be back on Twitter real soon. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. As, again, it's always fun. You were uh... – like I said, you're at the top of our uh, our list. We had a great time with you last time. And no disappointment on our end again. So thanks so much for coming on. John and Chad, man, my pleasure being here on the two-man power trip uh, wrestling. And I'm looking forward to joining you again in the near future. Thanks again for inviting me. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Bruce. All right. And we're back from Bruce Tharp talking NWA classics, and we are going to just completely go in the other direction for the rest of this show. 
as classic as that NWA footage is, and I'm sure it's got its fair share of brutal, uh, bloody matches, nothing can compare to our next guest, and that's Seth Bowman, and he is the man behind the 10 Years of Carnage documentary. Oh, my goodness. The IWA Deep South Carnage Cup primetime. I couldn't even get through the trailer uh, because I'm a little, a little squeamish, not, not going to lie. And uh, I did get through it, but it, it took uh, second viewing. But primetime, you and Seth really uh, got into it about this documentary. And uh, I guess just uh, please, I guess for the faint of heart, please tell us your thoughts. And, you know, it's so funny. I was talking to Seth beforehand. He said, uh, you know, uh, I want to send you this copy of uh, Ten Years of Carnage. It's a deathmatch uh, documentary made. Tell me what you think. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm. I said, I was like, I'm not much of a deathmatch guy. You know, I've seen uh, some Cactus Jack. I've seen some Sabu. I've seen some Terry Funk, you know, from the 90s and stuff. But, you know, I'm not really much of a deathmatch guy. But, you know, I was like, I'll check it out. Let's see what you got. And... I thought to myself, I was like, I'm not going to like it. And then I watched it, and I really, really enjoyed it. I really liked it. There's some, I don't know, something about it. I mean, if you're a little bit squeamish, be careful. Uh, and don't be eating during it. Like, I almost made a mistake. And I, was like, <laughs> and I put down whatever he's eating. I was like, I'm going to put this down right now. Because it, it's just, uh, the visuals are great, though. I mean, if you're not squeamish or you're not afraid of, you know, some blood, it's just crazy. Cause, I mean, the opening scene, you just see this guy, he's bloody as hell. And he's got, uh, you know, a syringe, basically, or a needle, you know, right by his mouth. So, I mean, kind of a, a little scary when you really think about it. But when you're watching it, I don't know why. I was just enthralled by it because uh, it was kind of interesting getting to know these guys away from the ring, too, because they're not as crazy, you know, in their real life, so to speak, than they are when they get in that ring or outside of their ring or when, when they're having these death matches. But, uh I don't know, I found myself really enjoying it, even though I didn't think I would. Yeah, I, and I'm also, you know, surprised how much you did enjoy, because I know the kind of uh, wrestling you're into, and obviously you listen to the show, uh, you know where our, uh, you know, our wheelhouse is when it comes to uh, the biz, if you will, and uh, man, that death, I mean, it's an interesting story, I'm not going to lie, I mean, it's uh you know, it goes back 10 years, and obviously you see some names pass through, which uh, that's kind of interesting where they ended up. Like, um, you know, you got Necro Butcher in there, and um, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but the uh, the guy who you and Seth are talking about that starts out as a fan and makes his way all the way to the final champion. And it's a, you know, look, it's a rocky story. It's a feel-good story, but uh, I'm sorry. Please share the name because I don't want to not give it justice. Oh, John Rare. It's just very interesting because uh... – he, you, you, you do see him years earlier as a fan in the crowd. And then, and then you know, I don't know if it's really meant to be necessarily about him, but to me, I kind of kept my eye on him as you see him as a fan, and then you see him going through the tournament, and they interview him a lot. And, you know, he's a normal, down-to-earth, normal-looking dude. He almost looks like Daniel Bryan a little bit. He's got the big beard going on and everything. But, you know, he's not a big guy either, but it's something about him. I was like, this is interesting. And then, for whatever reason, I found myself wanting to root for him to win, and he actually ends up winning the uh, the last Carnage Cup that they had here in uh, 2015. Yeah, that's uh, that's very cool, and please, we really do urge you to check it out. Uh, go to highspots.com, 10 Years of Carnage, and John, uh, you know, you guys really, uh, you guys rapped about this for about 15 minutes, and it's, uh, it's a great talk, and uh, anything else you want to share before we throw it over? I just wanted to say definitely, definitely check it out. Go to highspots.com. 
is also an Elbow Productions, our boy Michael Elliott. Um, that's his company as well. So uh, we thoroughly also want you to uh, enjoy this as well. Now, even if you don't think you like death matches, or even if you think that this isn't for you, I was even turned. So, I mean, if they could turn me, they could turn you. So I say just give it a chance, and you may just like what you see. So check it out, highspot.com, and buy yourself 10 years of carnage. Today, joining us on the two-man power trip of a wrestling podcast is Seth Bowman. He works for High Spots. He also works for Elbow Productions. He's a photographer as well. And he is recently the man who created 10 Years of Carnage, a documentary about death matches from IWA Deep South. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. With an introdu- introduction like that, I don't think I've ever gotten such a quiet introduction before. <laughs> now, with this uh, 10 Years of Carnage, I you, you sent me a copy, and I watched it uh, last night, actually. And when I first put it on, I was like, you know, I was eating. So I'm thinking to myself, I was like, all right, maybe I shouldn't be eating. So I finished what I was eating, you know, I threw it in the garbage, and I was like, all right, let's, let's watch this. And I'm like, man, I'm not really a fan of Deathmatch. But for some reason, this really, really intrigued me because it's, it's such a good documentary, and it's really a look not only at the Deathmatches but behind the scenes. Can you just talk to us a little bit about why you made, you know, this documentary and what it's all about sure sure yeah i appreciate that i'm glad you liked it i'd like to you know get a little more feedback from you a little later on but originally i was uh contacted by uh kevin brannon yeah, you saw him there he's the promoter for iwa deep south and he was coming up on his 10 years uh 10 year anniversary of doing his carnage cup and wanted a film made and uh pitched it to me and i was like well that's pretty interesting i've never really been a deathmatch guy myself i mean i've been to ccw shows but Never really gotten hardcore into it, but the more I talked to him, you know, he uh, you saw in the documentary, he's quite a character, and uh, the more I talked to the guys doing it, I was like, man, these guys all have great stories, you know, very, you know, deep behind-the-scenes stuff going on, so I was like, you know, I'd like to put this out there and let everybody see, like, what goes on in these guys' heads and what they do to their bodies, and, and uh, that's how we got to 10 Years of Carnage. Now, with him, he seems, you know, obviously he's an eccentric guy, he's a little bit of a crazy guy, he he doesn't seem like uh, the mastermind of, of, of a death match, but obviously you know, he is the mastermind behind IWA Deep South. What was it about that lead that found, you know, what was so interesting to you that, you know, you were like, yeah, this documentary needed to be made? I think, origi- well, originally he was part of the NWA and uh, got in with Ian Rotten and became the IWA affiliate. And the guy, he's a horror nerd, and he's always just loved everything about deathmatch wrestling, so he just started running these deathmatches. And it's kind of interesting because he's got a garage full of the, these gimmicks, and he makes half the gimmicks for the show. And he's, and once the show starts, he's just a big fan. He's just out there just going crazy, you know, even though he's the promoter and owner of the whole thing. So that was kind of interesting to see. And uh, what was the other half of your question? I was just saying that, that you know, what made you want to uh, – do the IWA Deep South, you know what I mean? Like, maybe why not uh, CCW documentary? Why IWA Deep South? Uh, I think it's because he was the one who contacted me and, and and pitched it, and he owned the rights to all the footage, so, like, we had all the, the different 
you know, you saw all 10 years of carnage represented there. So I didn't have to worry about getting the footage. I had all the footage. I had access to all those guys. So it made it real easy for me as a documentary producer just to go down there and know that I'm going to have a lot of stuff to work with. I'm not going to have to worry about getting clearance for this or getting that or having enough interviews set up. I knew it would be enough. And then when I actually got down there and started doing the interviews, when I realized, like, man, I've got a lot of great stories here, and this is going to turn out really good. Did you ever watch, like, Cactus Jack, Terry Funk, like, death matches from the 90s or any death matches from Japan? A little bit, you know, yeah, the, uh, you know, Sabu and Cactus overseas and um, and a little bit of ECW stuff uh, growing up. But, like, I was, I had to beg my mom to watch wrestling anyway, and so ECW was kind of off limits uh, when I was growing up. And then I, I think I got into it a little bit, but never into, like, just the hardcore ultraviolet stuff. Would you consider yourself uh, a deathmatch guy now or still no? Nah, I would say no, but I think I would be more inclined to go watch a, a deathmatch tournament now. Uh, as, long, as long as I don't have to pay it in. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, and well, after getting to know the guys, I mean, it's like you go see what, they, what they're doing and then you're talking to them at the back and they're just, you know, normal people covered in blood. Um, it's, it's really not my style of wrestling, but I guess I can appreciate more what they do. Now, there's one uh, crazy instance in there. I believe it's a, a, the first ever Saw match. It was John Rare against uh, Spider Boudreau. He actually stabs him with a, which is, oh, I like almost cringe just like thinking about it, but he stabbed him with the box cutter, and he left it in for a second. He pulled it out of his arm. Do you ever think that it, maybe it's sometimes a little too dangerous? Yeah, I mean, I could definitely think that. I mean, and I think that one was one of those, situations where they really pushed the line and maybe pushed it a little too far. And I know uh, Kevin and Spider and John got a lot of backlash on doing that uh, from, from inside the wrestling business. Uh, and I, actually, I think Kevin had no idea it was going to happen. Uh, Spider's idea, and, and John went through with it. And Yeah, I mean, stuff like that, I could see where that's just taking it a little bit over the edge. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you don't think twice when Sick Nick Mondo is falling off a building into a into a concrete floor with uh, Zandig, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that, it's funny that they, um, I forget who, but they actually referenced that in there. It might have actually been Kevin himself where he, he referenced that in there where he's like, that was the craziest spot since I've seen uh, Mondo and Zandig. So yeah, they definitely yeah. do, uh, they definitely do some crazy things and, and possibly they might be risking a little too much because not only or you might be risking injury, I mean, some of it could be fatal because uh, some of the razor blades and some of the wire cutting and obviously the box cutters, it can get a little, almost a little too intense uh, to a point. Yeah, I mean, I saw that. The the box cutter thing was like a one-time thing, and we've seen a lot of barbed wire matches, and, yeah, the guys do get cut up. I mean, and there's, you know, always a chance of getting a bad concussion or something like that, but I think it's the risk they're willing to take, and obviously there's a market for it, and there's, you know, there's four or five death matches a year, death match tournaments a year, and uh, and fans, you know, fans want to see it, I guess. So, I mean, if, it, if fans want to see it, they've got to be doing something, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not totally sold on it, but that's, that's, I'm coming more around to it. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I wasn't really a deathmatch guy, but there was something about this documentary. I love documentaries, but the visuals, I, I mean, obviously, if, if you're a little bit squeamish, I, I mean, just be prepared for some blood, but the visuals, especially the opening shot, um, I don't want to get too much away, but the opening shot, the visual that is there in the opening shot is like, oh my god! And you're like, man, this is going to be an intense ride. Yeah, well, well you, you don't have to. Worry, about... uh, 
Yeah, you don't have to worry about giving that away because if they go to um, High Spot's YouTube page, that opening sequence is in the preview. So there's a there's a preview, a little music video, and you can uh, see it on HighSpots.com at Ten Years of Carnage. So. Oh, okay. So I was going to say uh, um, he's he's you know he's I forget uh, I forget his name, but he was bleeding heavily, and he always got his blood everywhere. And he actually has a syringe in his mouth. Um, and you know, he, yeah. he, and he and he's out of it. But what was your thinking when you when you put that shot on there? You know, you're gonna hit it hard <laughs> as soon as it starts. Uh, as it was, as as I was standing behind the camera looking at it, I thought, well, I've got gold here. This has got to be like the the beginning because it's just so insane. That was uh, Bryant Woods. Yeah, and he was wrestling yes, okay. um, uh, Corpse Corporal Robinson. And you know, he'd already they'd already been going for 20 minutes, and he'd gotten really bad cut so he's bleeding everywhere and his like whole mask his whole face is a proverbial crimson mask but uh the uh actually the guy's into piercing so you know putting a syringe through your through your cheek is really not i mean it's a great effect but you probably didn't care you know yeah definitely now i hate to use this pun really really badly but was there any kind of footage that was left on the cutting room floor and <laughs> Was there? Oh, that's terrible, but I had to do it. Is there anything that you, uh, you know, you felt maybe might have been too over the top? I mean, I know a saw match is uh, that's pretty uh, that's pretty top. But uh, was there anything that that was left out of the actual documentary? Uh, no, not really. I mean, we, we put it all in there. We put it all out there. Uh, there's tons of bonus footage. So if it didn't make the actual documentary, there's about three more hours worth of bonus footage of uh, just other crazier stuff that happened. Um, yeah, there was nothing nothing I thought that was too insane to put on film. Now, how about any other uh did any other stories, you know, develop maybe as you were putting it together and shooting it and you know, going through some other uh, aspects of the actual filmmaking, but was there anything that developed more from a story point of view while you were getting it all together? Uh one thing that did come out really well that I did had no idea going in how it was going to come out. Uh, when I went to Childersburg, Alabama, which is a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, I think I'm based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was about an eight- or nine-hour drive to get there. And that's where they had the first Carnage Cup uh, that was shut down at, at the rec center there because he had not really – he'd told them, but they didn't know what they were getting. So they called the cops on him. So I just went to the police station, and you know, luckily it's the same police officer from 10 years ago, and he said, sure, I'll tell you about it. So you guys saw that in there, and then we yep. went into, into the rec center and thinking, I'm thinking, oh, God, like, most places are going to kick us out, you know. And he's just like, oh, hey, Bob, and he, he knows everybody in the rec center still, the rec center still, uh, still. and he's like, we're just going to film some stuff in here and talk about that deathmatch tournament that I got kicked out of, you know, and they're just la- you know, laughing. I'm like, this is great, you know, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> That that was uh, that was actually pretty cool because uh, you know I was reading the preview about how it got stopped and it was actually pretty cool to see the cop that was involved with stopping it yeah. you know and him being like almost shocked like oh you know like <laughs> oh they're jumping over this they're killing each other and, you know how to stop it pretty yeah, funny yeah yeah well, well yeah, give me uh, your more in depth thoughts on let me interview you for a second what did you uh, okay. what did you like about it the thing that really stuck out to me that I liked. This might be weird, but that guy, John Rare, and, and I'm watching him talk, and I'm like, man, you know, he's not huge, obviously. He's not, like, a big guy. But you could tell he, like, loved wrestling and he loved um, death matches. But it was cool. Inter- you're watching, you know, you're interviewing him. He's giving his, his life story, basically. He's telling about how he started. He's basically a fan at one point because he wanted to get in there. 
I forget which Carnage Cup it was, but he was actually it in was, the band. Uh, and five. It was and, Carnage Cup five. Yeah, and you see him in the front row, you know, like slapping the wrestlers, and he wasn't able to wrestle. But then eventually, um, I keep rooting for him, like, oh, because like, I didn't know who won uh, each year. So I'm like, oh, I hope he wins this one. I hope he wins that one. Might be kind of weird for me to say, but I was like, oh, I'm kind of rooting for this guy now. And then um, when you get to the final one that happened this year, and he beat uh, Spider and, um, with that crazy uh, jump off, whatever the heck that thing that's almost like scaffolding was. But I was like, oh, yeah. I was actually very happy that he won. I was, I found myself. <laughs> Almost surprised that I found like a guy that I was rooting for, you know, throughout the film. Yeah, I was uh, I was uh, happy for him too, and actually going and went to his hometown and interviewed him and got to know him a little bit. And he's just super down to earth guy. I mean, he he works at a, a tight fitting factory, if, if I remember correctly, and just just loves wrestling. And he's willing to do some crazy shit to uh, to be a part of a deathmatch tournament. And uh, he finally finally got it after uh, ten years of uh, trying to win it. So it was a, it was a good moment for him. And you could tell him and Kevin had a really great bond. And, uh, and so that was cool to see too. Yeah, it was cool that, you know, he hugged him. He's like, you could see him say he loves them and everything else. Like, and basically I guess Kevin said he was his best friend and, and, you know, he had so much faith in him. I was like, man, if he's your best friend, he better win this next one. And yeah, and, uh, he did, which was cool. And another thing that was really cool was, um, seeing Necro Butcher. He's one of my, uh, my old favorites. I used to like, uh, not so much his, him in a death match. I just like him him wrestling in general. I just think he's different. He's a throwback. He's just crazy. Oh yeah, I would have loved to have had the chance to uh, interview Necro, but unfortunately we just couldn't get that that worked out. And I, he was, you know, in the earlier Carnage Cups. Uh, but it would, it would have been great to be able to include him. But you do get the footage of him doing all the uh, old Necro sit down, punch you in the face spots, and all the crazy uh, crazy stuff like that. It was cool to see um, Drake Younger, too, because obviously now he's in uh, NXT as a ref, but uh, it was cool to, to see him back in the day in his... Uh, and you got some footage of you interviewed him, too, which was cool. Um, yeah, His yeah. old school deathmatch days. Yeah, luckily we had uh, we had done an interview with him and Kevin Steen together before both of them got signed, which is also available on highspots.com, another cheap plug. But uh, so I was able, <laughs> I was able to use that, uh, he was, and he almost lost his ear at uh, one of the Carnage Cups, which was another crazy incident. And actually, I think pretty much everybody from that Carnage Cup went to the hospital to the point that the hospital was like uh, alerting the police that something was going on. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. It did look like like when you you got the close up of his ear, it did look like uh, his ear was almost going to fall off. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, another interesting thing, uh, which I don't know if it, it could be, to me it seems a little bit bad for the wrestling business, is the fact that they get that these tournaments get kicked out of so many buildings, you know. And then, then the building will be like, oh, we're never running wrestling again. So I, I think there are downsides to it. That you, if you can find the right space to do it, you know, the right venue, then I think, you know, it's, it's all good. You'll find a cool old lady like that lady Donna. I mean, that, if, if every town had one of her, it would be kind of good, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, her her setup was great. She had, like, gambling machines and pool tables and tried to feed me, and it was <laughs> it was really cool. I mean, I, I, the best part about this is just getting to travel and just meet and meeting, you know, Americana. Like, these are these are real people, real stories, and uh, and you never know what you're going to get until you just get out there and get it. I think some of the fans might be as crazy as the wrestlers because, you know, they're bringing those weapons. They're like, oh, man, I made this weapon for a year or so. You know, the guy with the big bed. The other guy had, like, that nail sheet that he had. I mean, I feel like you agree that some of the fans are as crazy and as passionate as the wrestlers are. Oh, definitely, definitely. I couldn't believe that these people, uh, 
we're coming from all over, like New York, Chicago, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, and they plan their year and take their vacation around going to like, not just this one, but all the deathmatch tournaments, and they sit there and make their weapon for months. You know, just hope that the guy uses it on somebody else. Uh, especially Nathan, he uh, is also the commentator for the IWA Deep South, and he builds that bed and tries to make it even more sadistic every year. And this year it was like wrapped in barbed wire with uh, light tubes across the top, and he had a syringe needle board that just looked ridiculous and all kind of stuff. Now, there's two definite questions when I was watching this that I that I knew that I wanted to ask you. The one question was, who is your favorite deathmatch wrestler? And then the second question is, what is your favorite deathmatch? Ah, uh, are we talking about, like, from this or, like, all? Yeah, yeah, yeah from this. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. I don't know. I, like, there's so many awesome guys in there. I, I really like Spider, and I think even not even in the deathmatch uh, capacity, he connects with the fans. Like, he brings a little humor to his deathmatches, which I don't know if you could maybe pick it up a little, but being their person, you know, it was almost like watching a, a comedy spot, but he's, like, hitting them with light tubes and stuff. And uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, Josh Crane was a really interesting guy, you know, a really cool guy, down-to-earth, straight-edge, which uh, a lot of these guys are not straight-edge, you, you know. I mean, maybe count a few beers and go wrestle a little bit, but he was, you know, it's interesting to see a straight edge guy who's out there doing he, he, what he calls clear minded ultra violence. <laughs> and, uh, good for him. He just got to be in TOD, which was a big dream of his also, uh, last week. So, and as far as favorite match, I mean, I don't know. The, the, I really liked the, the Josh Crane, Del Patrick's match because they incorporated some actual rest, like a lot of wrestling into it. Um, I would probably say the the final, just because it was just insane, you know, and there was just shit flying everywhere, and you had to watch yourself every couple of seconds. Just, I mean, it's hard to film these things and not get hit with light tubes. Let me tell you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and again, of course, this is ten years of Carnage the documentary on IWA Deep South Carnage Cup, which is ten years old, which is crazy. Ten years go by pretty fast, but it's great that each year is in the documentary. Again, this is uh, Seth Bowman, who took a huge part in making this film possible, which it is great. Even if you're not a Deathmatch fan, it is a great documentary. Might be a little bit squeamish to some, but um, I, I, I just really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. Uh, awesome, awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. And it's available at highspots.com if anybody wants to pick it up, you know. Be happy to. I'd love to hear any feedback. Um, I have a Twitter at NC Photog Seth. Um, you know, if anybody wants to shoot me a message, I'll be happy to answer any questions. So, very good. I was going to say, uh, give us some plugs, but uh, you did a very good job right there. <laughs> and anything else on high spots you want uh, everyone out there to check out? Uh, let us see. We've got recently. We've done the Queens of Combat, which is a really awesome women's tournament. Uh, well, women's promotion, and we just did a two-day tournament featuring, like, Tessa Blanchard, Jessica Havoc, uh, Mandy Leon, and the list goes on and on and on. Like, these top, you know, Leva Bates, Crazy Mary Dobson, pretty much the cream of the crop of as far as girls wrestling goes. And we had a two-day tournament, and that's, we just put that out, I think, today or yesterday. And it's, it's top-notch stuff. Uh, we did the Bullet Club Party, which, if you're into party shoot interviews, uh, <laughs> Doc and Carl and Tomatonga, and uh, some other people crashing the party. Brian Myers crashes the party, but 
pretty much just them drinking Bud Light limes and, and shooting the shit just about the Bullet Club and wrestling in general. Um, and one project I'm really excited about is we have another developmentally speaking with Brian Myers where he sits down with guys and talks about the whole developmental system and what they went through to get to the, w- to the WWE. And the next one will be with Camacho, who's now Micah in TNA, uh, Brad Attitude, who made it to developmental but never made main roster, and then with Doc Gallows, and all three of their stories are just, are just great. I and mean, it's a great two and a, two and a half hours, and it's uh, must-see TV. Sounds awesome, especially that uh, that women's tournament cause you mentioned, Mandy Leone, and that immediately gets me interested. <laughs> yeah, well, we we uh, I think my uh, my uh, coworker Jake just put the previews up. So if, if you want to get a little preview, you can go to the High Spots uh, YouTube channel and see some little teasers for the Queens of Combat shows. And I'm sure uh, your girl Mandy will be on there. Nice. And continuing with the craziness. Uh, following 10 years of carnage, we got a guy who's put in more than 10 years of carnage in his career, and this is going to be the final interview that we conducted live on the beach in Seaside, New Jersey, as part of the big, huge event that we took part in earlier this month, actually, technically earlier last month, and uh, John, the one and only Balls Mahoney is now with us, and uh, this is one that uh, I did solo. You had to tag out in the afternoon. But uh, we talk about everything from Smoky Mountain through ECW, but uh, you're going to really are going to love the Smoky Mountain topics. And obviously with this show, we have covered a lot of Smoky Mountain wrestling. Uh, Balls had a pretty good run in Smoky Mountain. And he definitely uh, he talks about what he had to go through still living in New Jersey and basically being a bouncer and wrestling down um, in the mountains. And uh, it's an interesting uh, little journey, but what are some of your memories of Balls Mahoney? It's funny. Uh, I think people tend to forget that before he was in ECW, he was in Smoky Mountain, and he had a nice little run there. Um, you know, but I believe he won the TV. Am I, am I right? Did he win the TV title yeah. down there? If I'm, yep. I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, that's what he, okay. yeah, so, he yeah. talks about that he was, uh, he was bouncing while he was the TV champion of Smoky Mountain. Yeah, that, that, I didn't know that. That's pretty funny. But, uh, yes, I do remember him being the champion down there, so he was a TV champ. I, I thought I remember that correctly. Um, so it's just interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of ECW guys actually did end up uh, coming from Smoky Mountain um, one way or another, and Balls was no different. But what, obviously, a lot of people do remember Balls for is being that crazy uh, chair-swinging freak that he was and uh, taking things to the extreme. Yes, indeed, and uh, every bit of that crazy persona that he has comes out in this interview. About a minute and a half in, Hacksaw Jim Duggan entered the room, and there's about uh, 20 seconds of extreme hose coming from uh, Balls' mouth, and also in the middle of our interview, also maybe a little bit after Hacksaw's uh, interruption, uh, the event that we were at, started to play his WWE theme music and it kind of set him off because uh, he was not happy about that. And he went into a whole story about um, how he originally, when ECW started to kind of do their own in-house themes, he had uh, something in place to uh, maybe perform the song himself and had a guy who was going to do the song with him. But I'll let Balls uh, tell that story. But if you've been around the New Jersey area, you've seen Balls Mahoney at many many an indie show. And I think Primetime, you and I have had that one-on-one uh, with Balls at an indie show. 
one, one time specifically that comes to mind is with Danny Doring at the uh, Middletown, New Jersey VFW Hall. And uh, we, we know he's a hard worker, but uh, his WWE run, I got to say, was definitely uh, it was pretty interesting. You know, he, uh, he did last a little while. Yeah, I think uh, a lot longer than I kind of thought he would. I didn't think he was the type of guy that would be, you know, the the guy per se, as far as I didn't think Vince would be interested. But, you know, I guess uh, Heyman wanted to get some of the ECW originals in there, and uh, he actually did last pretty good, and he had a a nice little run there. It was pretty good, but obviously it's nothing compared to his uh, ECW run. You know, he came with Axel Rotten, had a ton of great matches, uh, you know, had awesome theme music. you know, from ACDC, and obviously in the WWE, uh, he did not have such great theme music, but, you know, that's a different story for a different day, but uh, Balls will, uh, apparently, he will tell us that story. That is true, and you will definitely, you'll get Balls to full effect. Uh, please do not uh, let some of his comments about people he's worked with offend you. He shares some very explicit comments about Paul Heyman, he shares some pretty uh, explicit comments about some other guys. Uh, we had we had fun listening to this. I had fun conducting it, but uh, it was definitely an interesting one and one uh, I guess you could say uh, people would be talking about. But speaking of things that we're going to be talking about, John, today's episode was brought to you by NWAClassics.com. It is the brand new video on demand service by the NWA. And, of course, Bruce Tharp, our first guest, uh, we thank him so much for coming on and talking about the great service, and we urge everybody to check out nwaclassics.com. And, John, I'm going to give you the floor. Please tell all the fine folks where they can find everything two-man power trip of wrestling. Yes. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We really appreciate your feedback. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Talent at Two Man Power Trip. Also, the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And on the upper left-hand corner of that website, you will see a Bombas link. Please click on that link, and you will get access to the greatest socks of all time. Also, once you buy a pair, one gets donated to the homeless. So not only will you get a pair of someone from the homeless shelter will get one as well. So please go to that link on tmptofwrestling.com on the upper left-hand corner and enjoy some Bombas. Now also, I highly recommend you go to nwaclassics.com and get the new NWA Classics 24-7. You will not regret it. You will love it. And now, without any further ado, the hardcore icon himself... All right, join us here at the Beachcomber Live at Seaside Heights, New Jersey. ECW icon, the man himself, Walt Mahoney. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. How are you? We're doing great. So now you look around this room here at the Beachcomber. You see a lot of legends. You see a lot of great names. Who would you say is one of the guys that inspired you to get into professional wrestling? Oh, that's easy. I was just telling, actually, the story to him. Uh, the Superfly. A lot of people don't, uh, people know me, they know me, and they grew up together in such a church. That's how I got into this. Just so you know how far back we go. Oh, Duggan's here! Oh! Uh-oh. There he is. Just go! Just go! I gotta say hi to Duggan. Jim Duggan! 
that it's about three times they come up to me, hello, Mr. Nuggets. <laughs> I look like a little much. Anyway, uh, at the first time we met Jimmy, me and Chris were at the garden the night he flew off the tour. Yeah. the one that Sam was talking about. Right. The first one. Yep. That mm -hmm. So that night, I decided I'm going to try to fly like Yep. And I could see later on my career, like my career progressed. I mean, talk about like. Mm -hmm. Now I'll start it because we can. Yeah. I'd say uh, Ted DiBiase, another one. Uh, I was lucky enough to work with him for a little while in WWE. Yep. Yeah. Yes, got, you were. <laughs> but I remember Ted DiBiase when Ted DiBiase was being into the NWA World Yep. And guys like that, even Jim Duggan, Tito Santana, another one, grew up watching it. Yep. I grew up 20 minutes ago. Yep. I still work there. Mm -hmm. This is home for me. So pretty much everybody in this room is guys I grew up watching. I used to use the flying burrito. I've done that with Tito. my first uh, Macho Xana cars, they didn't have the transformer. Yep. Ted Bowser. Yep. Because it was tense. Yep. So just everybody here has influenced everybody. And Tatanka, when he was training, I was training as a little kid. So I pretty much know everybody here since I was involved. It's great. And that, that WWF imprint definitely in this area is definitely there. But now you talk about your transition into the WWF in the mid-90s. Now you're in Smoky Mountain beforehand. What was that like moving from Smoky Mountain into a gimmick that was a little tough, I guess we could say? See, here's the thing. Right before uh, I got hired by Smoky Mountain, I was doing my little singing. Um, and I had just done a little bit of a butcher. Uh, I lit him on fire. I'm dressed in Puerto Rico. The gimmick was over. Uh, Japan was looking at me. I had the opportunity to go work full-time in Tennessee. So when I got, the, uh, I got hired and I actually... Lasted there because most Smoky Mountain runs were that year. We did a year, you know, mm -hmm. in the US, we did a year and then we were done. I was, uh, I did my first TV taping in May and June, July, and August. And I wasn't living down there. Right. I was their TV champion that whole time. Wow. And I was working at the old Reggie's in Belmar. <laughs> yes. All right. But, and, you know, and here's the thing I was still doing a Buddha Sing service up here. Mm -hmm. So I had to have my final match with that duel. Then when I go down there, it was just a whole, whole different. Is this the WWE? I'm going to say, I know this music that's this in the, the background. WWE just play big balls for real. I'll that's tell you. Just, we'll get back to your story in a second, but I remember a, a dark match that I saw you in uh, probably around 2005, 2006. And when this music hit, I said, this is the best that they can come up with. I, was <laughs> I had a version in ECW that I sang. Mm -hmm. I had a band called Speed Saber that did a kick-ass metal yep. version. Yep. They loved it. They wanted to use it. Yep. And I had to go get paperwork re-signed. Wow. The guy decided I want money. I'm like, dude, you'll perform it live. They're going to push me. Yeah. All right? Just sign the thing and let them use it. You won't make money because you'll get on the album. Then. That's terrible. I want money now. So that was that. So yeah, I had two great versions. I couldn't get the rights to them. And you got this one playing so in the background. <laughs> I remember one night here, you want to laugh? In yeah. Westchester, it was uh, the, the first show we did from ECW. Mm -hmm. All that show. Mm -hmm. So I wrestled Danny Dorn like four minutes I go, Danny, screw that. We're done. So I end up doing 15, 20 with Danny. Yeah. They're not happy. Oh, boy. Crowds love it. Yeah. I let Danny do all the 15. I hit all my stuff. When it was over, the crowd started. I go, you're trying to see. I go, stop. One, two, three. And the crowd. All 5,000 of them. 
Another classic WWF. That's another classic venue, the Westchester County Center. And you can see the best part about that venue is when you see the guys peering through the curtain right on that main stage. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So let's get back to the story. So you're the TV champion. You're working down in Belmar. So time to move. So I moved down there and my car had died, so I'm stuck. And I had a couple people come down. I had a Sterling. They wanted him. They didn't want to quit his job. Um, I had Danny Dubiel come down and they're a hell of a worker. Yep. He ended up having an attitude about getting a job, so he just worked out. So is my friend Ace. I'm like, dude, you want to come down and have some shots? They're lucky. So when I moved, I had someone come with me. That guy turned into Steve O'Brien. That was AC Carter. There you go. And uh, me and him got a little trailer that we drove down there. Yep. And we lived in an apartment. It was me, him, Anthony Michaels, Chris Derrick. Yep. Awesome. It was fun. That's great. Yeah, we've had on a couple, couple different Smoky Mountain lineage yeah. superstars. It's a forgotten territory. It is, and it's a shame because it's it great. When I was there, we were selling out. We were running the Knoxville Coliseum. You know, I was in a major angle. I had kind of oh, yeah. yep. Mm -hmm. When they killed my cat, they killed my cat. They dropped the leg on it. It was just a big blow-off night. Yep. And uh, we had the, uh, the uh, animal rights people freak out. I've never great. seen the gangsters for the first time. I'll never forget this. And this is true. You can ask me that. You can, he might not want to admit it. And I watched him do the promo that we don't need to stop keeping the one of them here. Dude, we and he, I was. I come in the back, they come in the back, and I go, You guys are going to be the biggest thing in wrestling when you get out of here. Mm -hmm. and what do you mean? I go, If you go to the Northeast, forget it. Yep. You're going to be so overheated, so awesome. And at the time, he's looking at me, and he's got 340 pounds, and I lift the weight. I was That's good. Damn right. Yep. So now, as we as we wind this down, and you look around, we talked about the legends in the room. But what would you say the legacy and what fans are going to remember about the chair swinging freak, Falls Mahoney? What they, I think what they remember now, they don't even really remember, they remember the Kelly Kelly angle. They kind of, they, they the real fans, they didn't like what happened. Yeah. And Vince, Vince had the perfect opportunity to have his third. Yep. He could have had his own competition. All you do is sign it to the court. Yep. If he had signed his own, the non-tutorial Right. And like Paulie had taken some stuff, and actually just at Paul. Right. Yep. Give us a long time. Let him do our thing, but get paid by them. I think he's here to still be done. I agree. Without a doubt in my mind. Totally. This brought out the consistency. And this he didn't do to us. Right. 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 They was it. That was it. That was an end game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because you would, and I still say what they say. If you would come to any house show, ECW, any house show was better than any paper that either of those people were doing. 
Definitely. For two years, I worked Rob Van Dam every single night. Every yep. night. 40 to 50, 65 minutes. Every night. And that was every night. Yeah. And our thing, like in WWE, when you and I got three, that's what we wanted to go. It was overturning the guys in the head. Right. In ECW, it was, you can't follow me. And that's Falls Mahoney. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah, tell us where we can find Balls Mahoney.
Definitely check out PWS. Yeah, 